Our theme for the year has been abounding in hope, and if you have been with us, uh, then you already know that, and if you're new here this morning, we want to spread that joy and hope that God gives, and that we might be able to abound. Think of the disciples. Think of the hopes that they had. Think of Peter and all of his aspirations and his zeal and his sword swinging that was not so, so good, though he swung it with a gusto. They all had their ideas of what their lives would be like with Jesus. You remember James and John? And they wanted to be on either side of the Lord Jesus with a couple of thrones in the thick of the action in the kingdom. Grant, Lord, unto us that we would be able to sit on your right hand and your left in the kingdom. They all had dreams. They all had aspirations. They all had ideas of what it was going to be like following Jesus. And those hopes were dashed when they saw Jesus Christ nailed to that cross. I'm sure they were in disbelief. I'm sure they were waiting. Oh, hey, he's going to call down fire from heaven. Just wait. He's going to come off of that cross. Just wait. And then they realized, no, this is happening. And then he was taken down dead and laid in that tomb. And with that, their hopes were squelched, you might say. And a few hopeful disciples now became a few despairing disciples until three days later. Could they believe it? A couple of ladies have this crazy story that Jesus has, been, has raised from the dead. And, of course, John and, and Peter run, and you know the story. And they find out that he is risen indeed. He begins to appear in various places to his disciples, and hope is rekindled. And over the next few days, they didn't just have hope, they abounded in hope, and they spread that hope. And between that time and the time that Jesus uh, ascended, the multitude had begun to grow again, and they had uh, spread this excitement and enthusiasm that Jesus was alive. And Jesus ascended, but not before he had challenged them with their new responsibility to get out and tell everybody to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people in our world today that have also had their hopes dashed. Some of them know the Lord as Savior, and some of them don't. But saved or not, there are many people who have had their hopes dashed. And you look at this world, you look at Ukraine and Russia, and, and you just see so much despair and so much carnage and I just think of how so many people are spending this Easter Sunday morning in a bomb shelter somewhere, wondering what's going to happen. What about my family that they haven't heard from in weeks? Is there still hope in that situation? Can you still abound in hope? And you say, well, it's easy for you to say on this side of it, right? But we take it from Scripture. And 1 Peter, the book that we've been studying on Sunday mornings, Peter was writing to some Gentiles who had also become disenfranchised. They had followed the Lord Jesus as their Savior, and many of them had paid a very, very high price. Now they felt, felt like they were outcasts in their own country. They felt like strangers and sojourners as opposed to citizens and nationals. And they felt, they felt that they had just 
uh, lost everything. What do they do now? Do they have any hope? And Peter challenges them, yes, you are strangers and sojourners here, but you are elect, chosen individuals by God. You have a citizenship in another, in another country, a heavenly one. And when he gets to verse 3, he says this, our text for this morning reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter was the apostle of hope, as some call him, and he uses uh, the, the whole book of 1 Peter to point these, these Christians that are struggling with their faith, losing hope, uh, suffering through persecution and, and trials and, and temptations. He, he uses the pages that uh, God ins- uh, allows him through the inspiration of the Spirit to write. He uses this time to point them to the hope that they have in Jesus because of the resurrection. You and I can have hope because of God's mercy, which was made possible by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you have been given a doctor's, uh, 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 what do you want to call it? Uh, Diagnosis, that's the word I'm looking for. A doctor's diagnosis that you're sick and and you have some illness that you uh, need deliverance from. Or whether you have uh, just recently lost a family member or friend. Or if you happen to be in a, a place where there's no money, there's no job, there's no future, a difficult relationship. There is hope because of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Your only hope is God's mercy. Look at that verse again. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. That idea of begotten again, we call it the new birth, to be born again. And uh, this is what we also refer to as salvation or being redeemed, justified. Uh, There's so many different synonymous terms that we use, but the idea is made new in Jesus Christ, part of the family of God, born again into his family. Now a child of God, where at one time you were a child of the devil. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ is that we are in Him and He is in us and He accepts us as such. But friend, I want you to see that first of all, your your only hope is found in God's mercy. And those who reject the mercy of God will lose that hope along with it. I think to many of us, the, the concept of mercy is a weak one. If you need mercy, there must be something wrong with you. Weak people ask for mercy. Uh, beaten people ask for mercy. Losers, right? Losers ask for mercy. And uh, many, for many of us, it's a, it's a humiliating idea to think about uh, mercy. But for the Christian, mercy is a beautiful thing. You see, in order to be saved, in order to be begotten again, born again, you have to recognize your complete need. Your need as a sinner To need mercy is to admit to guilt. And that's something that a proud individual has a hard time doing. 
I'm fine. I'm better than most people in my family. I'm better than most people on my street. I'm not as bad as that guy or that guy. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. And we justify ourselves and declare ourselves righteous. But self-righteousness is sin in the eyes of Almighty God. For us to understand the hope that is in Jesus, you have to first of all understand your need of His mercy and that His mercy is the only hope. That you are condemned. Yes, this idea of mercy for many is repulsive, but for us it is beautiful. If you have ever seen uh, these fights these days, and they can be kind of brutal, these MMA fights, these guys get into the octagon, they beat each other's brains out, and they, they'll get into all kinds of grappling holds and so forth. And, and if one guy gets pinned, uh, the, other, the guy who's pinned can tap out, right? He can tap out, and that is called asking for mercy. And he goes away a loser and a failure and a, a defeated individual, but he gets to go away with his arm still attached to its socket. And so there is a trade-off. You know, that guy who loses that day, uh, he feels weak. He feels defeated. He feels humiliated. Oh, I, and, and he just wants to go out and hit the gym and work harder and get back in there stronger. For many of us, if we do accept mercy, it's only for a moment until we can do it on our own again. Mercy is for my bad day, but for my good day, I'll be there. And I'll be able to take this. And, and uh, again, we are repulsed by mercy. But folks, for you to be saved, to be begotten again, you need His mercy, His abundant mercy, according to 1 Peter 1.3. You don't need to come back stronger. You don't need to come back better. You need to come back with Jesus. As we think of mercy, I saw this quote by Charles Spurgeon no other attribute could have helped us if mercy had refused. As we are by nature, justice condemns us. Holiness frowns upon us. Power crushes us. Truth confirms the threatening of the law. And wrath fulfills it. It is from the mercy of our God that all of our hopes begin. It's mercy, friend. Get your head around that. In order to do it, you've got to humble yourself. And so how can we humble ourselves? Because we are hopelessly proud. We need to see a couple of things that will help to humble us and see uh, that we are indeed in need of mercy. We need mercy, first of all, because we are sinners. We are sinners. Now, uh, again, in this day and age, people laugh at sin. They mock at sin and, and uh, are, are, are cool if they sin. And so we feel in good company with a sin and sinners sometimes. But remember, friend, the Bible says that broad is the way that leads to destruction. You might feel in good company, uh, but it's bad company because the direction is not going where you hope to go. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Every single one of us have sinned that means to miss God's mark. And because of that, we have fallen short of the glory of God. God is perfect. He is holy. And He can let no uh, unholiness in His presence. 
The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.20, There is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Though you may be a pretty good person, uh, you may think you're, 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 you're religious and disciplined and, and well brought up, there is no one who does so much good that they don't sin. And your problem is not that you haven't done enough good. Your problem is that you've done too many sins. We're fallen, sinful individuals. James 2 says in verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. You see people say, well, I haven't done anything really bad. I maybe broke a couple, but I haven't broke them all. Well, according to that verse, even if you've only offended in one, you're guilty of all. Because what does it take for an individual to be impure? You take a perfectly white wall and you take a pen and you walk up to that wall and put a dot on that wall. It's now not perfectly white. It is now impure. If you take the same wall and you take a sponge with ink and you begin to throw it at that wall, it's also impure. They're both impure. It doesn't, we think quantitatively, but God thinks in terms of his standard, his holiness, he is the standard, not you and me. We compare ourselves down here, and the Bible says that that is unwise. Think of the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> the Ten Commandments were given to us to uh, show us just how sinful we really are. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt make unto thee no graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Right there we're in trouble. We're only th through the first three. Uh, people take God's name in vain all the time. And it's no big deal. When they're happy, they shout out God's name. When they're scared, they shout out God's name. When they're angry, they shout out God's name. They text it all the time. They call it out. There's different uh, shortcuts. Now, OMG, you know, you can just take God's name even faster. Uh, just, uh, just make it simple. Uh, and and we, we, uh, we, we just blaspheme his name as if it's no big deal. And we say, well, everybody does it. That may be true, and maybe everybody is in some trouble and needing of a Savior. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. Wow, that covers a lot of bases. Now, a lot of people will look at that list and try to live by it. Well, good luck with that, first of all. But that list was not given so that you would know what to live by. That list was given to expose you and I for who we are and to show you and I that we cannot keep the law. They said, now wait a minute, why would you have laws? Why would God give us this if he knows we can't keep it? Because the whole point is found in Galatians 3.24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Not by the law, not by keeping the law. 
I've got one through three, preacher. I'm working on four and five and six. No, 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 that's not how this works. No, it is not to be your new aspiration. How much of the law can I keep for how long? No, it was meant to show you how much you've broken it, how much you cannot keep it, and how much you need a Savior so that you might be justified, and that word means declared righteous by faith. Declared righteous. You know, the word does not mean to be made righteous. The word means to be declared righteous through mercy, through forgiveness, through an act of God. If you and I could make ourselves righteous, then we would be justifying ourselves by works. But no, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It is good to know the law. It's good to be familiar with it. Most people can quote, uh, give me 10 sports teams or, or 10 uh, beers or 10 soft drinks before they can give you 10 commandments. It's good to know these commandments because it is a reminder of our sinful condition and how much we need the Lord Jesus. 1 John 5, 17 says, All unrighteousness is sin. And all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why are we talking about sin on Easter Sunday? Isn't this supposed to be a happy day and there's Easter eggs and chocolate and all this stuff? You know, folks, it is Easter, Easter Sunday is so important because he rose to deliver us from sin. That's why it's important. Otherwise, it's just any other day. We need mercy because we are sinners. So many people today are looking to this life and every expression and every experience to find some fulfillment and some satisfaction and what most people, well, it takes time, it takes a lifetime sometimes to realize that these experiences don't do what they say they're going to do. Try this, live like this, this relationship, this thing. And all it does is leave you more empty and more frustrated. And you think, well, I got, I got to find the next thing then. And on to the next pursuit when Jesus offers life. We need mercy because we're sinners, friend. We need mercy also because we are condemned, the Bible says. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. These are familiar verses to many of us here, no doubt. Maybe it's a new verse to you, but the, the word wage is the idea of your earnings, your salary, something that you work for, something that you have earned. You deserve it. The Bible says that you and I are working and earning and deserving the wage of death. And if we get what is fair and just, we would get this judgment from God, this condemnation. Well, I don't like the sound of that, right? But you know, folks, you have to understand how bad your condition is before you'll appreciate what God wants to do for you. Revelation 21.8 is a very important verse. You ever wondered if there's a list of who's going to be condemned? Well, there is a list. It's right here. 
But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's quite a list. And it's interesting to me that though some of those sins are, are uh, pretty, pretty out there, right in that same list are fearful, unbelieving, idolaters, and liars. That would describe the average American to the T. Fearful. This whole culture sells fear. Fear at every turn. Unbelieving. You know, in this culture in which we live, if you're an educated individual, uh, you have to relegate God to Sunday school and, and you move on beyond that. And if you're educated and, and, uh, and so forth, then you've graduated beyond God. And, and uh, that's kind of the, the peer pressure and the stigma. Fearful, unbelieving, but idolaters. Boy, the American dream is basically one idol after the next. Coveting, that last one that we read on the, on the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not covet. Uh, we, we do a lot of coveting. The Super Bowl commercials, uh, millions of dollars for 15 seconds to get you to covet some car or whatever. Uh, a lot of money gets made on coveting in this, in this country. But lying, it says, and all liars. You know, we, we don't think much of a little white lie. Especially if that little white lie was in their best interest. You know, I can't tell them the truth. That would hurt them too bad. I'll just lie here, lie there. Nobody thinks anything of that except for God, who is true, he is holy, he is just, and he is a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. He is one who cannot lie, the Bible says. And here in this list, right along with murderers and uh, abominable individuals, right here in this verse is you and me. That's why Romans 3.23 told us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We find ourselves condemned. On our own, you and I are sinners. We have uh, broken His law. On our own, we cannot change that. We can try as we might, but it does not change our eternal destiny. We need mercy because we're sinners, and we need mercy because of the condemnation that we are under as sinners. But I'm thankful John 3.17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the, Son of, the, of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are, de are evil. That lays out very clearly, and I, I didn't give you John 3.16. You know that one. God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a powerful passage of Scripture. But it paints the, the Father's heart so clearly. He was not 
coming to destroy. He was coming to redeem and to save and to deliver. But this matter of condemnation is real. And though it says he did not come to condemn, if you will not put your faith in him, you are condemned already. I ask some people, sometimes we're talking about this, I say, hey, so what do you think is going to happen when you die? And they'll say oftentimes something like this, I don't know, we'll have to wait and see. There is no need to wait and see. The Bible tells you right now what is and what will be. It says here, if you believe on him, you're not condemned. If you believe not, you're already condemned. There's no wait and see. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, you look at that and you say, wow, that seems so simple. It is simple. Why would somebody refuse that offer? Well, the next verse uh, answers that question. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And that's where Satan, the deceiver, has worked so hard, and he's got a lot of years of practice. He disguises evils as though they are good. He masquerades around as an angel of light, and he puts out various temptations that promise so much and deliver so little. I remember going to a certain neighborhood on a Saturday morning. Uh, we had, were going to pick up some kids for our bus route, and so we were going around to visit those kids, and I thought, I'm going to go over to that house. I've not been to that house before. And, and I, I thought I saw a kid running around. The door was wide open. And I thought I saw a kid running around there. I thought, well, okay, we're going to go over to this house. So I go over there, and how do you knock on a door that's open? You know, it's a little, always a little weird. So, hello! I, I, and I kind of stepped in and passed out on the floor and passed out on the couch and passed out in these weird contortions where I guess mom and dad and, and, and buddies, beer bottles everywhere, all of the drug paraphernalia, and here's the kids running around, stepping over people, stepping over stuff. They had to get themselves breakfast. They had to just fend for themselves. And thankfully, one guy was awake, and he came from around the corner. Oh, hey, hey, uh, uh, pardon this. Don't worry, everybody's okay. Uh, we had a really good time last night, man. A really good time. What can I do for you? Uh, can we take your kids to church? Uh, and so I talked a little bit. Well, that's his dad. I'll talk to him when he wakes up. Well, here's some flyers. Here's my information. Give me a call. And I walked away from that, and I thought, that's pretty sad. That, that, that I'm sure, was billed as the Friday night. And that's going to be some fun right there. And they had their fun. They're going to wake up, and uh, they're going to have a head hurting. And someone's going to have to tell them what happened, how much money did you lose, and what all, and where are the, ki are the kids okay? You clean up this mess, and, and uh, worst of all, got to go to work on Monday, right? And this is what the world lives for, just one pleasure after the next, one experience, and everything over-promises and under-delivers. We continually love the dark because our deeds are evil. 
and we reject the light. And it's so sad because God has come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And yet we many times choose to believe the devil, the angel of light, that what he is masquerading around as is better than what God could give. We don't believe that Jesus really can give us peace and happiness and excitement and joy and fulfillment. But Jesus said, hey, if you would taste of my water, you'll recognize real satisfaction. I'm the water. I am the bread of life. Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, and she had tried it all. Bounced around from one husband to the next and one experience after the next experience. And Jesus said, are you going to stop looking and take what will truly satisfy? I alluded to this verse already, but I'll give it again. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I find it interesting how today everybody wants to do their own thing. I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to express myself the way I want to express myself, which happens to be like everybody else. I'm an individual. I'm a free thinker. You're not going to tell me what to do or how to think. I'm going to think my own way, which is just like everybody else. There's no individuality. Uh, there's the, the guise of it. No, the, the Broadway is full of people who are on a way leading to destruction. Trying this, trying that. But there is a different way. There is a different gate. Few there be that find it. But it could be you. We need mercy, folks, because we are sinners, and we need mercy because we are condemned already in our natural sinful state. We need mercy because we cannot save ourselves. You need mercy because you cannot save yourself. Hey, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight. I hope not. <laughs> but if you were outnumbered, Chances are, you, if you could, you cried out for help. Why would you do that? You took a look around, you made some assessments and realized this isn't going to work. I need some more people on my side. Help! You cry out to help when you've come to the end of yourself and you know that you need someone else. And that's where we need to come. And Jesus is here, ready, waiting. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, Jesus said. The truth and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And folks, there's no other way but Him. Romans 4, 5 says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. You see, if you could work for it, then, uh, then it's something that's owed you. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So many people today, different religions, different names, but the same root idea. So many people are working their way to heaven. 
if I can do enough of this, if I can have enough prayers, if I can uh, keep this certain ritual, if I can don't eat this during this time and then do eat this during this time and then not forget about this ritual and, and this prayer and blah, blah, blah. And all these things are working, 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 working. But the word of God says, it is not to him that worketh, but to him that believes on him. His faith, not his works, is counted for righteousness. Boy, folks, I remember talking to a man who in New York City who had lived his whole life trying to meet the requirements of his false religion. And we began talking and he said, let's go into the sandwich shop. So I went to the sandwich shop with him, sat down. I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 50. I said, how long, you, you said, you've been at this for 50 years? Yep, pretty much 50 years. Are you, uh, are you doing okay by your religion standards? Nope, doing terrible. How long do you think you'll live? He said, huh? maybe 70, 80. So I said, do you think the next 20 or 30 are going to go better than the last 50? And if so, what do you, wh why? He's like, no, <laughs> it's not going to go any better than the last 50. He says, I'm out of gas. I'm whooped. You know, I, I, no way. I said, I have good news for you. It is to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. And that's why we call the gospel good news. Because when you get a hold of this friend, you recognize it's not on you to save yourself. It's on him. It's always been on him. And we must simply go to him. That's why Titus 3, 5, and 6 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly in Jesus Christ, our Savior. That word abundant comes up a lot. We we're talking about abundant mercy in 1 Peter 1, 3. Yes, he is a God of abundant mercy that comes on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, being that being justified by grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We have hope of eternal life because of his abundant mercy. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Folks, these are verses that I didn't make up. These are verses that God has given us. This is inspired, the inspired word of God. He says, you're saved by faith. You're not saved by trying to make something happen. You're saved because of what he has already done. And if you could do it on your own, then you could boast about it, and there is no boasting in heaven. No, it's just going to be a lot of people who will say, thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. I am unworthy because I deserve the condemnation of God. Matthew 7 puts it this way in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and thy name have done many wonderful works. And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. 
that, that passage may be troublesome to some here this morning because you say, how in the world does he look at those people and say, depart from me, I never knew you? Well, they uh, betrayed their dependence in their words. When they stood before the Lord, they said, Lord, accept us. I prophesied. I preached. I cast out devils. I did great works in your name. What did they just admit? They admitted to this. They were depending on themselves. What are you depending on? doesn't matter how good you look. I would venture to guess that the guys in this text looked pretty good, casting out devils, doing wonderful works, preaching all over the country. That's all looks pretty good to me. But that's what they were depending on. Because when they had the opportunity to, to speak for themselves, they said, this is who we are. Surely he knows us for what we've done. What would you say if you had a similar opportunity? Folks, I want to tell you right now, there is only one way to answer. And that is this, Lord, you are my only hope. I am a sinner. I was hopelessly lost. I was under the condemnation of God. There was no way in the world I could change that. I couldn't take away my sin. I couldn't keep the law. I couldn't meet the righteous standard of God, but Jesus Christ did. He lived a perfect life. He died and rose again the third day to prove that he was who he said he was. He conquered sin, death, and hell. And he's, uh, he is now uh, ascended, waiting for me. I am only here because of Jesus. I have no other hope but Jesus. But what would your answer be? Your only hope is God's mercy because you're a sinner, because you're condemned, and because of uh, the fact that you cannot save yourself. I want to just close by mentioning the second point. Your hope was made possible by the resurrection. Your only hope is because of his abundant mercy, and that hope was made possible by the resurrection. Again, I got to make this clear. As, as the Apostle Paul made clear in 1 Corinthians 15, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no saving sinners. And our faith is in vain. Because if without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then our faith would be the same as every other religion out there. Dead prophets, dead gods, lifeless statues. Christianity would be no different. But it is different because of the empty tomb. He rose again and he conquered sin, death, and hell. He took the sting out of sin, death, and hell for every one of us. There is no sting now. Because he lives. And the Bible says that he is the first fruits of them that slept or them that would pass away. Because he lives, I also am alive in Christ. Because he was raised, we too will be raised. He is not the, the, the God of the dead, but of the living. And he is alive himself. His resurrection proved so many things, and one of those things that it proved was that he is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. Only God could rise again from the dead. Jesus did. And Jesus said in John eleven twenty five. 25, 
He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? He looked at Martha, and her brother had just died, Lazarus. He was in that tomb. And Jesus had delayed his coming because he wanted to do something that would be special. He wanted to show them the power of God. And he arrives and he says this to Martha and she says, oh, I know that he'll rise again at the last day, but I didn't want him to die now. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, he raised from the dead right there. Uh, you know, why did God do that? I, I've wondered that many times. There's, there's a lot of people he could, have, he could have done that to. Why Lazarus? Well, he knows exactly why. I can only surmise a couple of things. I, I think he wanted to show just right then and there he is who he said he was, and resurrection is possible. And Lazarus, boy, what an experience. I want to talk to him about that one day. How'd all that go down? How'd it feel to die twice? You know, and uh, uh, what was it like? What, did they unwrap you slowly or did they just pull and, and spin you like a top? Or how, you know, how did it go? But he showed his power. He showed his power and he showed that he is who he said he is. He is the resurrection and the life. And if you will believe in him, though you are dead, you shall live. What does it mean, though you're dead? Well, for us, we're dead spiritually until we're born again. We are dead in trespasses and sins, but God quickens us through his spirit and makes us alive through the rebirth into his family. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? You know, right now, we've got a lot of people, as I mentioned, in this world who are losing hope or, or without hope altogether. So many people, life is so scary. Every day they wake up, they wake up terrified, overwhelmed, discouraged, depressed. Every year that we go through life, hey, it's, if you, one way to look at it is one year closer to the grave, right? Or another way is one year closer to Jesus, depending on where you're at on that. But for many, it is, life itself is scary. But it says this, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Because eternal life is eternal. And when you have eternal life in Christ, though this body you will shed, you will be absent from the body, present with the Lord, you will step right into his presence, your life will not cease it will continue. It's eternal life. He is alive. And that is where our hope comes from. This is why it says that we have a lively hope, a hope that is alive because Jesus is alive. I remember when I first came here to take this pastorate, I think it was within the first month or so, someone had forwarded me a, forwarded me a, a, a video that I watched, and it was uh, the story of a lady who was addressing a crowd of about this size. I don't know where it was. I don't know what the venue, but this lady was telling her story about her battle with cancer. And at that very moment, uh, the cancer had spread through her entire body. 
and it was in her bones, and her bones were so brittle that she could break a bone just by doing that. You know, her, her bones could just, they had to help her up, help her down. And uh, at that moment, uh, she had just weeks to live. I believe she, she died a couple of weeks after she made that, that video. But she told her story of cancer, and she told what God had done in her life and the peace she had through Jesus Christ and how it was a difficult trial, uh, but it was, at least she had peace because she knew Jesus. And she gives this, this whole story at the end. She says, I know you're probably feeling sorry for me, but don't. She said, I am living and will continue to live. And in a little while, I will be separated from this trial, separated from this, this body, this experience, but I will continue to live. She said, I am dying. But the truth is, she said, my body is dying. But she said, the truth is, we all are. My body is dying. Your body is dying. But do you have life? Do you have eternal life? You know, we can look at a lady like that and say, wow, how could you face that? How could you go through that? Oh, that's just terrible to, to know you've got a couple of weeks left and, and talk to some crowd full of people. How on earth would you ever be able to do that? That'd be so horrible. Well, no, it was an opportunity for her to use this vapor we call life to point some people to Jesus while she still had the strength to do it. And she was right. These bodies are dying. <laughs> Before our very eyes. What do we have? What hope do we have? The hope that Jesus said, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. He's speaking of your soul and your eternal life with Christ. The, the, the question that comes, it comes down to is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And what are you going to choose to give your life to? This world would say, you only go around once, better live it up. Let's go, man, let's do it. Well, I remember uh, talking to a guy, being preachers, you get summoned to people who are about to die. And I, I got called to this one guy and uh, talked to him, and he was hooked up to all kinds of stuff. And I thought he was maybe 75, 80 years old, would have been what I figured. Come to find out he was 40-something. Um, uh, he just looked terrible. He had lived a very wild life. He lived the life, man. And it had expired on him a bit faster than he had anticipated. I was able to point him to Jesus for a time until the truck of his buddies rolled up. And they all got out of this pickup truck and said, okay, preacher, time's done. We're here for our buddy. We're going to take him out to the bar and, you know, he needs, he needs a little something you can't offer him, preacher man. Thanks for coming by. And he went with them, and I don't know what happened to him. You know, it, it seemed to me, I, I just stood there on his porch and watched them drive off. I was just dumbstruck. This guy had, had days to live. He was at home to die. And you're going to go chase a couple of bottles? When I'm telling you how to be saved, how to know Jesus Christ, I just, I just couldn't believe it. You know, it just goes to show how much of a deceiver that devil is. But the truth is, there's no difference between that guy chasing the bottle in his last couple of days 
and you chasing whatever you're chasing right now, it doesn't make any more sense. No sense at all. What does make sense, a lot of sense is this. Jesus Christ came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. And if we will embrace that abundant mercy, we can be born again because he is alive through his resurrection. Will you embrace your need for mercy? Will you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can be saved? Will you rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that anybody here who doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, that they would come to know you now. That no one here would would think that this life has more to offer than you. I pray, God, that we would know the hope that is alive in Christ. And I pray that someone here today would meet you as their Savior and Lord.